The church furthers everything about what Jesus did in the Gospels. I mean, just the fact that we are in this space, 2,000 years after Jesus said what he said, did what he did, organized how he organized, and the fact that we still represent what came after the Christ event proves my point. Christ reordered everything, and the church furthers it. If we went all the way back to the very beginning of church in the book of Acts, Rome, you would see, tries to destroy the church. Even the Jews that didn't want to convert tried to suppress the church. There were wars that were fought to stop the church. There were secret house churches that were built. There were believers who were found guilty, burned at the stake. And all the while, one baptism after another spread from one place to another, from one city to another, from one country to another, creating one church after another. Now, Paul is the most notable and the most heroic when it comes to the early church. He took a small mobilizing Jewish sect and spread it throughout Europe and Asia Minor. Major missionary trips to major cities helped sprout churches in Philippi and Ephesus and Galatia and Rome and Corinth and Thessalonica and Phrygia. I mean, these are political cities, port cities, social hubs of the Middle East and throughout Europe. And depending on which scholar you talk to, Paul could have written up to 14 of our New Testament books. Now, if he didn't write them all, which I don't think, I think there's a couple of them you could argue that he did not write, be based on the syntax and the Greek structure and the word choices that he uses. But you can't argue that those writers were not heavily influenced by Paul. Seven of the books scholars are universally recognizing as Paul's letters. 1 Thessalonians, Philippians, Galatians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Romans, Philemon, they have all been universally accepted among scholars that this is Paul's original work. The other seven in the New Testament, regardless of how you splice it, they were influenced by the missionary movement, the writings of Paul. He had an enormous influence for Christianity across the globe. Nobody helps us reorder the world quite like Paul. I mean, as much as anyone, he gave us language and insight. He united the church across the globe. He gave us perspective on how the Christian church could and should stand against the, the Roman Empire. And Paul modeled for us what it's like to imitate the life of Christ. So I want to show you what I mean. Now, we've been surveying Scripture and taking a 30,000-foot view of the text, so let me give you a flyover of Paul's handiwork. I want to show you four things. That's what I want to show you. These are Paul's major themes. Now, he said more than what I'm going to tell you, but these are the four biggest topics that help us reorder life in the church and our own spirituality thanks to the work and theology of Paul. Number one. This is the biggest, the brightest theme that emerges out of the New Testament. This literally changes everything. Grace. This cannot be overstated. 
we are saved by grace. Not because we're Jewish. Not because your mom's Jewish. Not because you were born into a Jewish family. You are not saved because you follow the Jewish law. You are saved by grace thanks to the Christ event. The death and resurrection of Jesus. It bestows a power in this world that you cannot win. It cannot be secured. You cannot go and obtain it or steal it or strip it away from someone else. It is freely given. You are saved by grace. Paul says this in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. And this gift, it's for Gentiles and Jews. Boy, that reorders everything too. God's grace is for all. This reorders the whole world. The world used to be built around modes of honor and shame and sacrifice and purity. To say you are saved without merit without a performance review, without someone noticing the good works that you did, that changes everything on how you get and gain access to God. We are saved by grace. Number two, the law. Paul wrestles with the law a lot. Actually, Galatians is a complete response to what do we do with all of these laws? Yes, we're saved by grace, but this is a lot of history here. This is a lot of order that was given to us in the Old Testament and by priests. And what do we do about it? Because it used to be about works righteousness. But now you're telling me works righteousness doesn't get us into heaven. So what do we do with the law? Do we dismiss it? Do we disown it? Do we just reject it? No. Paul has a weird relationship with the law. He invites us to follow it still. It is a barometer for how we can actually live like Christ. We're not bound by it, but we do come under it. And that's how we experience the Holy Spirit. Galatians 2 is literally what this is the whole purpose of why Galatians 2 was written. Let me start in verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth. We're not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by doing the works of the law because no one will be justified by doing the works of the law. So the law doesn't save you. It doesn't justify you. But it complements the life of Christ. And it moves us into a more committed relationship with God, which again, reorders everything for God's people. The law isn't what gets you an audience with God. Christ is what gets you an audience with God. The law does not have priestly powers over you, yet we are supposed to allow it to sit within the axis of power of our spiritual lives. The law brings us to God but it does not save us. It's complicated, so follow it, but don't completely think that's how you survive with it only. Number three, Paul invites us into a conversation of faith, but it is a doozy. Faith in 
in faith of Christ. In almost every single paragraph, Paul talks about faith. Talks about it a lot. Holding on to faith in the face of oppression. Holding on to faith in the midst of uncertainty. Holding on to faith when we know that we are about to die. Or we don't know what's coming next. That faith will sustain us. It will save us. And it will transform us if we follow the faith or imitate the life of Christ. He talks about it a lot. But there is a massive wrinkle that you need to be invited into. Scholars have debated this for decades. And I want to bring you in on it. In Koine Greek, in ancient Greek, you can parse nouns into different cases. Similar to other languages. You do this in Spanish, you can do it in Latin. In Greek, you can have the same root word, but it has different endings, which puts it in different cases. And there's the nominative case, and the genitive ablative case, and the dative and locative and instrumental cases, and the accusative cases, and the vocative cases. And when you're translating Greek, you have to have a working knowledge of what each of these cases do. What do they mean when a verb is parsed out with a particular ending? Now, of course, the ending's going to be different for most of them. And they typically address some prepositional change. But for example, the root word could be the same. It has a different ending and you translate it to something. Or you could translate it from something, depending on which case it is in. Which, of course, changes the meaning of any text. Here's why this matters. You ready for this? Paul often switches from the genitive ablative cases to the dative locative instrumental cases, and there doesn't seem to be any rhythm or reason why. Sometimes he could be saying completely different things, but he seems to be saying the exact same thing in two places, but uses different endings, and that changes the meaning of the text. Now, is this incidental? Is it intentional? This is where scholars choose to hold the debate. And let me show you why this matters in English. When Paul talks about faith, especially how faith saves us, he sometimes says in the locative case, faith in Christ saves you. Other times, he uses the genitive case and he says it's the faith of Christ that saves you or the faith from Christ this is a big issue where does the agency come from to receive salvation is it the faith we have in Christ or is it the faith of Christ that comes to us how are we saved see the difference Paul is not consistent. If you want your Bible to tell you what the answer is, it will not. Translators have argued this point for hundreds of years. Within the Greek New Testament, the answer is both. And that's why we choose to debate. But it also invites us into the great mysteries of God. Now, if you want me to solve this riddle for you, I cannot. I'm not sure it is meant for us to solve. This is just the great mysteries of our faith. 
It does tell us, though, there is some kind of holy union between what Christ did for us and what we bring with us to Christ. And somehow, salvation exists when the two meet. You're just going to have to hold this debate gladly. Look what Paul says in Galatians 2, 19 and 20. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now I will tell you this. If we die to Christ, we get crucified in Christ. So it's not I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. Is it not fair to say that the faith of Christ becomes ours too? Hold that thought. Regardless, honestly, either way you splice this debate, it still reorders us. Because it shows that Christ is what saves. Christ is what redeems. Christ is what counters the powers and principalities of the day. All right, last one. Number four in a survey of Paul's work. You can't read Paul without engaging the eschaton. Eschatology. It's a big word for the end of it all. When the clock runs out, what happens? Paul speaks about this a lot, and uh, it's almost in every one of his works. And he is very aware that after Jesus resurrected, he went to God, and he is going to come back. 1 Corinthians 15 spells it out in detail, but it actually occurs over and over as a major theme. You get it in Thessalonians and Colossians, and he hints at it constantly. Paul keeps saying that we will suffer, we will work, we will follow the law, we are going to give of ourselves, we're going to serve those in need, and we're going to keep doing it until the eschaton comes, until the day of the Lord arrives, until Jesus comes back. And Paul believed in his bones that Christ would return, that God would be faithful through the days that lead us to that return. And the Spirit is our living proof to live in the in-between. Eschatology for Paul is when the kingdom of God, that thing beyond time, gets fully realized on earth. Which means... All of our effort on this side of eternity should be about helping bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And then all of the work that Christ is doing from the other side of eternity is in breaking the kingdom into the earth. So we're co-creating with God moving towards time Christ is coming back from beyond time, and we're both creating heaven on earth. That is a great reordering of things. We co-labor with Christ to make earth like heaven. 
Jesus gives us the Spirit to guide us through our work. All the while, Jesus is on the other end moving the kingdom of heaven back towards us. We're going forward. Christ is going back to reorder the now. Because it means there's no kingdom, no king, no country or army or group or people or race or gender that will ever have the dominion that Christ will have when He comes. Not even the great Roman Empire can withstand the reign of Christ. It is a massive disruption to how people thought and lived then, and it still reorders us today. Now, there are so many implications to what Paul gives to us in the New Testament. And these movements, you can connect them in your own way, and I hope you will. I'll just leave you with this one final, here's why all this matters. The church is still about the business that Paul set out to 2,000 years ago. How do I know? Because we're still here, and we're still saved by grace, and we're still people who follow the law. We're still inviting people into the mysteries of faith and in Christ, and we still have a job to do as a church to make earth as it is in heaven. What Paul started 2,000 years ago has not changed. We are still doing the work. We are who helps reorder the world. We are the church, which just so happens to be the hands and feet of Christ.